The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We continue in our series in 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Paul spent the last few weeks looking at uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, specifically into the idea of sanctification. Sanctification, as you know by now, is that process by which we grow closer to Jesus through the way we live out our faith. Okay? If our lifestyle doesn't change, if our actions don't change, we're not growing. It's what it comes down to. Uh, Fruit is meant to be seen. The scripture says that we will be known by our fruit. And so we're supposed to live differently because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So as we get into it today, you'll notice that the title of today's message is called Maturing Love. Maturing Love. So if I were to go around and ask you, what are the most important aspects of the Christian love, of 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 a love in the Christian faith, I wonder what you would say. If I made you list the top 10, what would you say? Don't say it out loud, but think in your mind, what would you say are the most important parts of loving? You might write down kindness. You might write down patience. You might write down serving other people. Those are all really good things. You might write down commitment. You might even go so far as to say self-sacrifice. But today we're specifically going to look at three really, really specific. I mean, these are ones that wouldn't make your top 10 list. I'll just tell you right now, I I would be really surprised if even one of these would make your top 10 list of what Christian love really looks like. They're very pragmatic, very practical, and very specific, okay? So we're going to get to that. So if you've got your Bible open, let's read our passage today in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 9. He says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may be able to walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So before we get into the three practical ones that we've talked about, there's an overarching concept of love that we see in Paul's writings, and I believe it's really, really true in 1 Thessalonians, and this is the principle that love ought to be our reputation. Okay? Love ought to be our reputation. He says in 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, 4.10 that we're to abound in it more and more. It ought to be our reputation. Paul says this all the time. He says it to the church at Colossae and in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1 where he says he hasn't even been to the church but I've heard of your love, your work of faith and of your love. He says it in 1 Thessalonians 1.3 that you're known for your faith. He says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love. In Philippians 1.9, Paul doesn't say that he knows about that about the church, but here's what it says. He says that it's his prayer that your love may abound more and more. Do you recognize that phrase, more and more? He says the exact same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4. We see uh, in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. 
he is love. It's not that he acts loving or he does what is loving. It's that God actually is love. Did you know that there's nothing that God has done that is not in accordance with his love? I wish I had time to talk about that today. But God sees a much bigger picture than you and I see of the whole world and the existence. So everything God does is in his love. When you want to know what love is, we look at God. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit. What is the very first fruit of the Spirit that is listed there? Do you remember? Say it out loud. It's love. It's love. And I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think that we can't really live out the fruits of the Spirit, the, the, uh, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't think we can live those out if we don't have love. First and foremost, we have to have received the love of God in Christ Jesus. Second of all, we need to love our Savior in order to let the fruits of the Spirit work in us and through us. And third of all, we're not going to practice these loves, these, or rather these fruits of the Spirit, in other people, which is where they're manifest, aren't they? If we don't love people. We're not going to want to do that. We're not going to want to be joyful. We're not going to want to be patient. We're not going to want to be kind. We're not going to want to be perseverant if we don't love people. Love has got to be our reputation. Now, interestingly about a reputation... Um, we can purposefully and intentionally have a reputation. I mean, that's part of our life. But here's what I've discovered. A reputation is most often built on what you say and what you do subconsciously. Let me say that again. Your reputation is most often built by what you say and what you do subconsciously. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, all right, I've got to really maintain my grumpy man situation at the office today. I really want to make sure that everybody at the office knows that I'm a grumpy, just negative person all the time. You don't wake up and think that, do you? You don't wake up and say, I want everybody to know that I'm a gossip, so I'm going to work really hard at being a gossip today. We also don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I just, I really want my reputation to be generosity, so I'm really going to work at being generous today, and, and I, just, I just want to be known for that. You're just known by what you are. You're known as the grumpy guy at work because you're always the grumpy guy at work. You're known for being generous because you live a lifestyle of generosity. It comes out of us. Have you discovered that the Christian faith is all about what comes out? It's all about what comes out of our life. That's why when we, we try to do it on our own strength, then we with the white knuckle grip, it just never works, does it? We put God and his word and his spirit inside of us and we let that foster and grow so that our reputation can be Christ-like. And that ought to be love. It ought to be love. We should grow and mature. The problem is many Christians know that they're supposed to grow in their faith. And so they might actually learn a few more Bible verses. They might actually be able to recall some theology, but they don't change the way they treat other people. They still remain disrespectful towards other people, judgmental, critical, annoyed of other people. We have our Bible recitations, but we don't actually apply that to people. We can, as Christians, sit in church, we can sit in Bible study, and we can take notes, and we can learn in Bible study, yet harbor bitterness and unforgiveness with our neighbors sitting right next to us. Does that make any sense to anyone in the room, yes or no? No, that's not how we ought to live. It's not how we ought to live. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call this the love chapter, but, and often we, we quote the, the middle, or rather the end of the chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not self-seeking, all of these things. 
And then at the end, there's three that remain, faith, hope, and love. And what is the greatest of it? Say it out loud. Love. But listen to what it says at the very beginning of the chapter. Now, it's hyperbole, okay? Paul has tried to set an outlandish example, not that we can live up to these, but he wants us to understand the, the, the point. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I can understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I even have a faith, that is so big that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am, say it out loud, nothing. If I even give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain, say it out loud one more time, nothing. This is incredible. We can have the the tongues of men and angels. I don't know what angels sound like. We can have a faith that's so big, we can say to the Rocky Mountains, I want you to go and move over there to Huntley. I want it to be closer to where I live. We can move that mountain. We can have all prophetic powers. We can understand everything. We can self-sacrifice in asceticistic worship so much that we can even burn our bodies up for somebody else. But if we don't do it with love, the Bible says that it is is utterly worthless. It is a worthless endeavor to do anything spiritual without love, without love for God and without love for his people. He says that we're a clanging cymbal, uh, rather a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. Not too many in the world like a a cymbal, right? I've been to a lot of junior high band uh, recitals when I was doing youth ministry uh, years ago. And you know how this goes, don't you? You got that kid in the back who grabs those cymbals, and you can just see it on his face. He's just ready for his song. He's ready for his moment. And he holds back those cymbals like this, and he's watching the director the entire time, right? Have you, have you watched this? Hopefully you've watched this. And he's sitting here like this, and he's watching that director, and his part comes, and he stands a little taller, and he grins, and as soon as the downbeat comes, he goes, whoosh, and his hair goes flipping up. I shouldn't have used that illustration. That makes me kind of, kind of makes me feel bad about myself. Um, but he's so proud of that. But let me tell you who's not proud, the flute players. They're just not all that impressed with that cymbal because they're trying to play their flute and it's a clanging cymbal in their ears. That's why you put them in the back, right? But our acts of faith, listen, even our Christian service becomes a clanging cymbal if it's not done in love. We can volunteer in ministries and if it's not done in love, it's a clanging cymbal. It's a gong. It's a waste. We ought to have the reputation of love, okay? So let's get into our three points this morning. How then do we practice brotherly love? First, uh, uh, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 again. Notice that we read uh, concerning brotherly love. This is Philadelphia. We often talk about brotherly love. Well, it's kind of fascinating. The Greek term Philadelphia that we use to mean brotherly love originally really was indicative of a family blood relationship. It was talking about a love that is so deep and so strong that it was actually a blood relationship. The body of Christ, the church, understood that what we do today, right now, this very moment, the congregation and the fellowship of believers is so deep and so powerful in the Spirit of God that it's that kind of a deep love. That's what it ought to be. But he says, this kind of a brotherly love, he said, I have no need to write to you. He said, God has already taught you to love one another. When we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we know we ought to love our neighbor. We know this to be true, don't we? 
So he says, you already know this, but he said, indeed, it's what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. That sounds pretty amazing. They're already loving all the brothers across the region that they live in. Their reputation had gone out from among them. But he said, we urge you brothers to do this love, this, this Philadelphia brotherly love more and more. He urges them, he beseeches them, some translations say, to do this more and more. And here's what he says, verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly to aspire to live quietly. So what does it mean to aspire? It means that, that we're focused on it, we're directed towards it, we pursue it, we, we, don't, we long for it. This aspiration doesn't just mean that it's something we self-discipline ourselves to do, but a pursuit of our heart, our intention. We should want to live this way. So point number one in some of these really specific non-top 10 issues of loving each other is this, that love promotes peace in relationships. Love promotes a peace in relationships. This is the opposite of being a busybody. We ought to be peaceful. What does it mean to promote peace in a relationship? It means that we both contribute peacefully to the relationship, and it also means that which we leave out of the relationship, which we're going to get to in just a minute. It means what we contribute to the relationship is a peaceful, and what we leave out of the relationship in order to have a peaceful relationship there. I will tell you something about myself that may surprise you. Uh, I actually love quiet. Like, I've been a musician most of my life and led a lot of worship and played a lot of music, and I like music, and I, I talk too much, and it's just what it is. But I love quiet. Brandy and I went 15 years in our home without children. We now have children. I can't spell the word quiet anymore. Right, I just can't even spell it. I keep getting up, by the way, earlier and earlier and earlier to have quiet time. And my youngest son, it's like he's got this sense. He just can smell that something is afoot. And he has to get up. But I love quiet. If it's just me, believe it or not, I'm actually really content. I can sit in a chair for a couple of hours with a cup of coffee and just be still. I legitimately enjoy that so much. It next to never happens. But I love being quiet. But you know what I love even more? I love quiet relationships. I love relationships in my life that are quiet. So what do I mean by quiet? I mean a relationship where there's not drama. A relationship where there's not a lot of chaos. You you already know what I'm trying to get to, don't you? We've got relationships in our life that, that are just drama and chaos and junk and they're heavy. And then you've got relationships that what we say in our house with Brandy and I is we always say that relationship is just easy. It's the person that you spend time with and you say, wow, that's just, just so easy to be around that person. You just genuinely enjoy their company. It's a life-giving relationship. It's a life-giving relationship to be around that person. It's a quiet relationship. There's not a lot of garbage that goes along with it. Doesn't mean we don't bear burdens. We'll get to that a little bit later. But it's a quiet relationship as opposed to loud and chaos. Uh, litmus question for this morning. Do you bring rest and peace to others or do you actually bring loud chaos to relationships? It's a question that if we're going to ask ourselves today, am I participating, am I, am I actively participating in loving, we need to ask ourselves, are we bringing rest and peace or loud chaos? I wonder what others think about when they see your name come up on your phone or on their phone. You know, you know what it is. You pull your phone out, it rings, and you look down at that person, and you have like that split second, like you screen these calls, Okay, don't, don't look at me like you don't do it because I know that you do. 
I know you screen these calls. You look at it and you think, oh man. So you, have you ever noticed there's an emotive response? You pick it up, you see the number, one of three things happens. It's either a number you don't know, so you don't pick it up, right? Um, and it's a number that you really enjoy, the person, and you're like, hey, let me, let me grab this. And you want to take the phone call because you want to talk to the person. You're genuinely interested in what they have to say to you. Or what about the third person where it rings and you look at it and you go, you say to your spouse, I don't know if I've got the energy for this. You know what I'm talking about, right? Nod your heads if you get what I'm saying. You say, man, I don't know if I have the energy for this. I wonder if somebody thinks that when I call. I wonder if somebody thinks that when you call. It's a good way, it's a good way to think about it. We've got to be a life-giving person. Here's the challenge. When we produce and bring drama into our relationships, it's a sign of weak faith. You might say, well, Jim, how does, how does like being a dramatic sort of person that maybe doesn't bring peace, how does that have to do with my faith? Let me tell you, because typically when we bring that kind of a drama to relationships, it's because whatever issue and struggle and trial and, and thing that's on our mind is in our life, we don't bring it to the Father first. We got to take it to all these people first. And there's so many issues in our life that if we bring before the Father and say, Father, I'm frustrated. Father, I'm struggling. Father, this is what's happening. And you go to the Lord and you let him pour out the Holy Spirit, whom he calls the comforter and the helper, then God does a work in our life. But typically, we'd rather go to other people. And here's the concept. Here's where it connects. Listen, we unload our stuff onto someone else. It's not that we're not there to help. It's not that we're not there to encourage. And that's not true. But the point that Paul's talking about when we don't live quietly, it means that we unload our stuff unduly on someone else. First Peter says we're to cast all our cares on him, the Father, because he cares for you. But often these people that bring drama into it, we're not interested in going to the God to go into the Father. We go to people and we just unload on people. And we just contaminate the relationship with so much self Focus. That's the key of the person he's talking about here. The point is that we're being so selfish. These type of people oftentimes are the ones that have a home in disarray. These people are oftentimes the ones that are just selfish and are focused on themselves. <clears throat> we have to learn to be encouragers. We have to learn to be encouragers if we're going to be Christ-following believers. And I, heard, I hear it all the time. I'm just not encouraging. I just, I'm not wired for it. I'm not good at it. I'm not encouraging. And what we often end up meaning by that is, I won't encourage because it's not natural for me to encourage. Well, think about it. We can get a new job and get trained up to learn a new job, but we can't learn to encourage. We can decide to go to school and learn a new profession, but we can't learn to encourage. We can learn to restore a muscle car, but we can't learn to encourage. We can learn to play golf, but we can't learn to encourage. We can learn to fix up our house, but we can't learn to encourage. We can learn a new language, but we can't learn to encourage. Does it make any sense that we can't learn to encourage? Say it out loud. No! Dear friends, I say this with all the love in my heart. I do not care if you are good at encouragement or not. We get to learn it together. We get to learn it together. That was, somebody should amen that, please. Come on, people. Help me out today. We ought to be encouraging. We, always, we, we give ourselves a pass. Oh, I'm not naturally wired for it. Yeah, it's going to be harder for some of us than others. But you can learn it if you love Jesus. You can learn it, and we ought to learn it. Okay, number two this morning. Love respects boundaries in others' personal lives. I told you it wouldn't make your top three your top 10 list. Love respects boundaries and others' personal lives. Look what it says in verse 11. We're to aspire to live quietly, and this is as plain as can be, 
and to mind your own affairs. Mind your own affairs. I, I feel like I shouldn't even add much to this because it's just really clear. We're supposed to mind our own affairs. Let me tell you the problem here. Many Christians mask being nosy with what they would call Christian concern. Notice my sarcastic finger quotes. They're really just being nosy. They're just getting up in other people's business and, 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 and they think that they're doing it so they can pray more for the person or they can be more specific in their prayers for the person or, or they can do it so that they really can sort of walk with them in that. But really, oftentimes, they're just being nosy into other people's lives. And we're called to do life together, but we have to earn that right to do it together. He says that we need to mind our own affairs. And by the way, we're to aspire to do this. We're to do this more and more. Often people are not concerned with helping and encouraging. They're more concerned about getting involved in other people's lives because it's somehow satisfying to these people. I don't fully understand that. I think a lot of it might have to do with if you can see somebody else's drama, then it makes you feel better about your life. You know, maybe that's part of it there. Maybe they like to advise other people. Maybe, maybe some of us in the room are a little bit of control freaks. We like to control our life, and it helps to control others as well. So we try to control what they do. Okay, we misunderstand that. Oftentimes we see people who don't respect boundaries and personal lives as the ones who have not tended to the issues in their own lives. Isn't it silly when a person's life is in disarray and they're going to advise you? Right? That's like a person who's been bouncing checks for years, who files bankruptcy, who's going to hold you accountable to budgeting your finances. Does that make any sense to you? Been there. I just kind of sat there and went, okay, 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 okay. Right? It's a little bit like a person who goes from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage, who's going to sit down and tell you how to do your marriage. That doesn't make any sense either. It doesn't make any sense either. Oftentimes, these person are burdening others because they're involving themselves in other people's lives without the right intention. Proverbs 26, 17, listen to this. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. So imagine a dog, he's intent to his own business. Maybe he's chasing a rabbit or a cat or something, as a good dog does, chases cats. I'm going to get a bad email from you cat lovers tomorrow. That's okay. I'll receive that. So dog's running by. I'm just going to own it. I'm just going to be unashamed about it. Um, so it's like the dog is running by. Can you imagine if a dog's running by and you reach out perfectly and you've got this, you can grab both ears. How is that dog going to respond to you? Say it out loud. How's he going to respond? He's going to turn around. He's going to bite you. And you kind of deserve it because <laughs> you grab that dog by the ears. Doesn't that happen in our life? when we get up in other people's affairs, we get nosy in everybody else's personal life. We try to tell them how they're supposed to do their life. And then we get upset when they didn't appreciate it. That's the concept. He says, we're, we're to mind our own affairs. We're to mind our own affairs. Now listen, let me see if I can draw this. I really, really, really want to be clear here. Um, I'm talking about unsolicited advice. I'm talking about unearned relationships. It's good for you to hold each other accountable. Now listen, I am not saying that if we've got a friend who, just as an example, let's say they've got an issue with drugs, and it's ruining their life, it's ruining their marriage, and there's an addiction there that is a real problem, and it doesn't mean that we read our Bibles and go, 
I'm not supposed to get in other people's affairs. See, that's what some of us do too. We go too far. And we say, well, I don't, I don't need to be getting involved in other people's affairs. We've missed the point. You need to get up in that friend's affairs and say, dear brother, dear sister, I love you too much to not say something to you right now. I want to help you get healthy. I want to help you save your marriage and your family. I want to help you. You want to get up involved in that. This passage is talking about other people who are busybodies and being nosy in other people's lives for wrong intentions, with wrong motive and wrong intent, right? We've got to earn the right to give that advice, and we've got to make sure that it's spoken in love, not in self-righteousness, pride, or self-profiting intent. Sometimes these people that are nosy and they get involved in other people's business, it's because they can't stand somebody else doing something differently than the way they do it. That's not a good motivation, is it? They want to be the hero that comes in to do that. They want to control everybody else around them. They might have a selfish intention that comes there. They might be a person that really wants to be the one that helps them so that in the end they can receive all this glory for being the one that saved the whole situation. That ought not be the case. The principle here is that we ought to love each other in brotherly love, abounding more and more, aspiring to do so in a way that we don't burden other people by inserting our personal selfish lives where it doesn't belong to be. Let me help you here. If this is a bit of a struggle for you, let me set you free. You don't need to know why everybody does what they do. You don't need to know why they chose a different job, why they turned down the promotion why they moved to another town, why they bought a different vehicle, why they did this or that. You don't need to know. If you needed to know, they would tell you, wouldn't they? But you don't need to know. And it's a good thing to practice that boundary and respect for other people's lives. Lastly, this morning, number three, love works toward self-reliance. Love works toward self-reliance. You might be going, whoa, I have not heard that in church before. It's likely you've never heard this in church before. So let me see if I can walk you through the broad concept here. Verse uh, 11, let's get to the very end of 11. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you, he instructed him to do so, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Turn backwards in uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me, if you would. Look at verse 9. Let's see what the Apostle Paul did. Because he keeps saying, I, I, I've instructed you this. Verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We might not be a burden. He labored and toiled. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Pick it up with me in verse 7. Paul says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. This word for idle means uh, uh, um, an undisciplined person. If they're idle, they're undisciplined, unworking, wasteful person. He says, uh, we called you to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you. Do you see the concept now? Is it coming together for you? Uh, It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you uh, in ourselves an example to imitate. 
Paul is saying, listen, we were there in your church. We were serving as your pastors, as your ministers. We, we very well could have had the right to come and say, would you give us a stipend for working? We're doing this ministry. We're building this church. We're planting it. We're training leaders. We'd really love to help. And it would have been okay for the church to do it. But instead, he wanted to show them what it meant to not burden other people. Um, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons, here it is the second time, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you drop that down, it's pretty hard to rebuke that, right? In the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. The Greek there means to eat their own bread. So Paul sets this example for them to work, to not burden others, to not be a freeloader, to not take a free lunch. Listen to the concept because I don't want you to check out. The idea is not, it is not a, a Western mentality that I'm my own uh, provider and I'm the one that's going to run the business and I'm the one that can do all this myself. I'm self-reliant. Don't misunderstand. This is not what the Bible is teaching. Bible is teaching is we ought not be lazy and sluggish in a way that we have to depend on other people to take care of us because of our unwillingness to work. It's a very important concept to get, or you're going to misunderstand this going out. He's not talking um, about the pride of being the self-provider. He's talking about the person who is lazy and unwilling. See, what's happening, seem, seeming to happen here at the church at Thessalonica is that believers perhaps were so focused on the second coming of Christ, it was a big issue in the church that Jesus is coming back. They thought, well, I don't need to work if Jesus is coming back. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come back. Well, the problem was responsible people in the church were doing their job. They were working hard. And then those other people were broke, and they couldn't, they couldn't make it. So they were coming to the church and expecting other people to provide for them expecting other people to give food to them, expecting other people to do it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't burden other people because you're lazy and unwilling. Now you might say, well, Jim, I, I thought that the Bible is about helping each other. It is. The scripture says that we're to care for the orphan and the widow. The scripture says that we're to care for those that are in need and poor and hurting. Jesus spent constant time with those that were struggling right? So we're supposed to meet the needs. We're supposed to care about people. Acts talks about the first church in Jerusalem that they sold everything they had and they gave to each other as anybody had need. So we still help each other, but we as Christians ought to be quick and generous to help others, but we ought not be quick to take from others, take from others because we're unwilling to work. It is a good thing to work. And look what it even says. He even says in verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. That you may walk properly before outsiders. Friends, if we want to have a good witness to those who don't yet know Jesus, first and foremost, we need to have peaceful relationships. We've got to leave that drama and that garbage and that gossip and all this relational junk at home. We need to grow up and mature and promote peace as much as we can possibly do. The scripture says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people, right? As much as it depends on you. So we've got to bring peace into the relationship. 
We've got to not be nosy people. We've got to be a good neighbor. We've got to understand there's right boundaries to other people's lives. And also how we be a good, a good witness to those uh, outside of our fellowship is, is that we work hard. We don't burden other people because we're lazy and we're unwilling to do the job because we're unwilling. I'm not speaking of an inability to work. I'm not saying that. Don't hear me wrong. I'm speaking about an unwillingness to do so. He says, that is the testimony. <clears throat> now, let me give a word quickly and we'll be done. Let me speak to young people for just a minute. Young people, it is a great thing if your parents help you. That is a, that is a, that is a godly thing from your parents. It's a good thing. My parents helped me uh, get a vehicle that got me back and forth to school and my job. They helped me in college to kind of get my feet going, you know, to get, get through the door and, and on my way, kind of helped me in those beginning years when they were really crucial and really critical. Those are really, really good. But, but young people, listen to me very carefully. This applies to you. This applies to you. Young people, if you're in the, on the edge of adulthood or you're in those early years of adulthood, my encouragement to you this morning is learn to enjoy and embrace responsibility. I don't care what your friends tell you and what the culture tells you, responsibility is good. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, responsibility is good. It is a good thing. I heard a song about 15 years ago from this professed Christian rock band. And the chorus line went this, responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. And I just shook my head and I thought, that's what the church has become now. We're just running from responsibility. So if you're a young person, you're receiving help from your parents, God bless you. That's a wonderful thing. But understand your, your goal from God is to learn to be self-reliant. So receive that as a blessing to get to the next level. Don't take it as a right to be lazy. We've got to grow through that. We've got to ask the question, am I receiving help so I can do this, or am I just running from responsibility? Parents, let me speak a word to you very, very quickly. It is certainly a good thing to help your children of all ages. That is a good thing. It is a helpful thing. But parents, here's a good question to examine where on this, this balance beam you might be. Am I helping them transition into being healthy adults or am I hindering their growth because I'm not allowing them to take responsibility for their own life? And I absolutely can't or wouldn't try to tell you which it is for you. That's between you and the Lord. But I think as parents, we have to stop and think, am I helping them transition to being a healthy adult that's not dependent on other people to put a burden or am I holding them back? Is my, is my gift of my home and the refrigerator and the food and the money, is that, is that helping my children go and be who God wants them to be? Or am I hindering their opportunity to be responsible? And we've got to seek the Lord on that. We've got to seek the Lord on that. Because at the end of the day, the Bible says today, and where I want to draw this conclusion, is this is an issue of love, isn't it? It's an issue of love. And if I've taken anything away from my study of this passage is that as a loving brother and sister in Christ, we need to work really hard to not burden other people, to not burden them, listen, unduly. I don't have time. I don't have time to preach this. I really wish I did. So I hope the Holy, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will make up for this, this today. If you need help, it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't want you to go, well, I'm never going to share a prayer request. I'm not going to share a need because I'm supposed to be. No, 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 no. We ought to love each other and care for each other. If you have a legitimate concern and need, you can say to your brothers and sisters, hey, pray for me. I I need help here. I'm not sure what to do. Friend, Christian friend, you ought to jump in and jump in and try to help when you can. We ought to do that. 
But when we can work, when we can serve, we ought to go to God and trust him. Does that make sense? All right, well, listen, I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I know this isn't the most motivating uh, passage in the world, but we teach the full counsel of God here. That's what we do. And so my prayer this morning is we just have our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. So I just want to ask you, which one of these did God stand out to you? Maybe, you, maybe you'd say this morning you've just been that person that doesn't bring a lot of peace to relationships. And, and maybe today you've got to realize it, it is time to go to God and to stop contaminating the relationships around you, but, but proactively bring peace into the relationship. Be a life-giving friend, a life-giving spouse, a life-giving child, a life-giving coworker. Maybe you've realized that as much as you hate to admit it, it just hurts you to say it, and even in the stillness of your own heart, maybe you this morning would realize that you're just, you've been a little nosy in the people's lives around you. And it's time for you to support back a little ways. Offer your love, offer your advice, offer your encouragement, and respect those boundaries as God calls us to do. Maybe you're the third this morning. Maybe it's time to work a little harder and not rely on other people. Maybe it's time to release a little bit of your help so that that person that you love so much can learn to trust Christ and work hard and be responsible. Father, I pray this morning that uh, as we talk about these really, really practical points, Lord, I pray that we'd apply them to our love relationship with you, our Savior, that we wouldn't be a burden to others, that we would contribute, that we would contribute being life-giving to those relationships in our life. God, help us to navigate this for your glory so that those that see us on the outside, Father, might see your goodness, your love, your watch care, and the fruits of the Spirit coming through us. God, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.